hospitalizations are up this week. Um, how is the hospital responding to that? What, is, what are the hospitalizations looking like? How many people are in there? What's the age range? Um, and how many people of those were maybe vaccinated and unvaccinated? All right, that's like a lot of questions, but we'll go. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, uh, it is accurate to say hospitalizations are up. Uh, we Today we have 24 patients in the hospital with COVID-19. Uh, if you want to compare that, uh, 10 days ago we had 12. So we've doubled, doubled our inpatient uh, census for COVID patients over the last 10 days. Uh, in addition to COVID patients, we have just overall very high census for all other conditions uh, at our at Genesis, as as does Unity Point. So we're seeing a, a lot of uh, chronic illness and a lot of uh, just uh, normal, uh, urgent medical conditions being uh, hospitalized, and then we add the 24 patients of COVID to that. Uh, also, what I would add is that within that 24 patient uh, population we're a little more heavily uh, slanted right now towards our intensive care unit we currently have seven in our icu in davenport and one in our icu in silvis um, that's uh, numbers that we haven't seen since uh, the first part of may um, and in, and in the icu maybe even a little bit longer so we're seeing we're seeing uh, an increase overall in uh, patients who are hospitalized with covid we're also seeing uh, some very sick patients that are ending up in the intensive care unit uh, the result of that has been that we've been having some intermittent challenges with our ICU capacity. We've had to um, adjust and at times be unstabilized and transfer and use other, other ICUs in the region. Um, that's a similar problem that uh, our partner UnityPoint has had as well in communication with their CEO so or their CMO. So I think that's a challenge that we're going to face. If we faced it during COVID, you have to be able to take care of the COVID patients and all the other patients requiring critical care. And the ICU is the the highest level of care, it's the highest uh, level of uh, nursing uh, training. And so that's uh, a pressure point for us frequently. As far as the uh, patient ages, uh, we are seeing an increase in older patients. Uh, for a period of time there, when we were into June and July, we had very low hospitalizations and they were mostly in younger unvaccinated patients. What we're starting to see is an increase in the patients who are 65 and older, and a, and a fair number of them have been vaccinated. Now, still, the majority of the hospitalizations are occurring in unvaccinated patients, as are the majority of the positive cases in our community. But that said, we're seeing a, a similar uh, pattern that, that has been seen in uh, countries that are a little bit ahead of us in the Delta surge, uh, where uh, in Israel, for example, they're seeing increasing numbers of vaccinated patients who are having breakthrough infections. And if you think about it, it's a little bit, it's a little bit um, similar to what we see with flu vaccinations. You know, the majority of uh, healthy people who are vaccinated from flu will have a mild case or no case at all. Uh, some of the older patients who are vaccinated for flu will develop symptoms and require hospitalization because of their underlying chronic medical conditions. So the vaccine is protective. It's still the best way to prevent symptomatic infection and to prevent hospitalization and death. But it, but it's not uh, it's not a, um, you know, impenetrable barrier if there's a high rate of Delta variant spread in your community, vaccinated patients can uh, become sick. And some of them, if they have underlying chronic conditions, will require hospitalization. So of the 24, though, that are back, uh, that are in the hospital right now, do you know how many of those were vaccinated? Currently, almost a third of our hospitalized patients were vaccinated, and they're all in the older age group. 
how how difficult is it given that you have two different states that are impacting your numbers and the two different states have uh variables in regard to the mitigations that are in place and have had variables for an extensive period of time it does, it does create a challenge uh you know certainly uh, um, illinois has been um, more restrictive on uh, when they reopened and masking. Uh, so we've seen variations in what we see in Iowa and Illinois. Uh, but I would say overall, we're seeing a similar pattern right now in both uh, Iowa and Illinois side of the Quad Cities. The Delta variant is more contagious. Uh, it's able to uh, spread uh, rapidly amongst unvaccinated and cause some breakthrough infection in vaccinated patients. Um, again, the majority of the vaccinated patients who uh, who are become ill with COVID are going to have mild uh, to moderate symptoms. So the vaccine is still very effective at preventing severe symptoms and hospitalization, but we are seeing breakthrough. Speaking of the vaccine, can you talk a little bit about your decision to require it for all of your employees? Yes, we, you know, Genesis, like uh, many other healthcare organizations, uh, have made that decision to require vaccination of all uh, staff. Uh, the reason is, you know, our mission is to protect our community and protect our staff, take care of our patients. And one of the ways that we do that is by requiring vaccination to uh, uh, diseases that we believe we can reduce or prevent uh, through vaccination. We do the same thing with uh, influenza. Uh, we already have a flu vaccination requirement at Genesis and a policy, and our COVID uh, policy is going to follow the same guideline. So we require flu vaccine for our employees and we'll require COVID vaccination for our employees. How many of those employees are vaccinated right now? If you have a percentage of that and um, kind of breaking it up between how many people are patient facing and how many people are not? And is there a deadline as to when they need to be fully vaccinated by? So we, we've had a similar experience to most, most other health care organizations. We're around, uh, around 70% of our employees were vaccinated prior to the requirement. So we have a good start, but we've got some work to do. Uh, we um, anticipate that we will approach, uh, uh, you know, a 90% or above vaccination rate as we move through the process. Uh, we will be requiring our COVID vaccination to be completed at the same time that we require our flu vaccination, uh, which will be uh, in early November. So they've got a, a couple months to get through the process, a little over two months to get through the process, and the same thing for flu vaccination. How, how do you assuage any doubts or any concerns people have in regard to getting the vaccine? I mean, obviously, you mentioned this, you've touched upon this, that people, you had to do this with influenza. It's the same thing with vaccine passports, which kids have to get vaccines to go to school. If you go to another country, you have to get vaccines to go to another country. So this is nothing new that you, you know, get vaccines um, and that people have them recorded and that people need to you know, have them to partake in certain activities. However, there seems to be a negative connotation now, whereas before it was taken as something that was just fairly routine. How do you combat that and get people to understand that this isn't something that is radically different, or is it something that's radically different, but it's still something that people should um, consider with a more logical perspective? Yeah, no, I, it's not radically different. I, I agree with the, the way that you frame the question. Uh, this isn't something new and different. It's just a new vaccine. 
So, you know, I understand that uh, some individuals will have questions that they need to be answered. They need to gather the information. Uh, our job is to provide the best possible information uh, based in evidence and based in the fact and science. Unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there uh, in the world uh, creating confusion about the safety of the vaccines. Uh, the, the, the true evidence is clear. You know, if you follow the studies, you look at the over 350 million Americans that have received at least a dose of the COVID vaccine, the vaccine is safe. Uh, we know the vaccine is also the, one of the most effective way at slowing spread or preventing spread of the virus and reducing serious cases. So even with Delta causing some breakthrough uh, infections, the vaccine is still uh, a very highly effective uh, defense. It's not enough, though. I'll be honest. You can't just rely on the vaccine with the Delta variant. We're not, you know, again, we're not bulletproof because we've been vaccinated. We're still going to have to, when we have a surge in infections like we're seeing right now in our community, uh, we still have to be careful about uh, gathering in large groups. We still should be masking when we're in indoor spaces. Those infection prevention tools that helped us earlier in the pandemic are still necessary now. So I think, you know, this is an this is an up and down cycle. This isn't, you know, COVID-19 wasn't a storm that blows through and it's all gone. And, you know, we clean up the pieces and move on. It's uh, it's hurricane season. It's a series of storms. And right now we're in the Delta storm. So, uh, you know, we have to readjust. We have to go back to some of the things that we were doing earlier in the year, like it or not. Um, we've we never went away from requiring masking in all in all common areas within our hospital. Um, and we've tightened up the restriction on masking even in uh, private areas and non-patient care areas. So we're masking fully at Genesis. Uh, we continue to do so in the patient care areas. Uh, and I would encourage the community to do the same when they're uh, in public and indoors. On the record, doctor, will you state that this has nothing to do with 5G towers, Bill Gates, or tracking chips? On the record. I absolutely state that on the record. Okay, you will unequivocally state that on the record. Unequivocally. Thank unequivocally. you. You know, we're, but it, to follow up a little more on your question, we are taking very seriously the concerns that employees may have. We're meeting with them individually in groups. We're uh, providing our medical experts to give them uh, the opportunity to ask questions. We're encouraging them to talk to their own personal uh, physicians. Uh, and, and get the facts from the people who know uh, the evidence and know um, uh, what's going to be the best recommendation for their individual health. Having said that, there will be some employees that will have a, a religious or medical reason that they're not going to be vaccinated, and we will honor that just as we do with our influenza vaccination policy. For staff that wouldn't have that sort of um workaround or an exemption, uh, would they be considered voluntarily resigning from their employment by November or would they continue to stay on if they still refuse to get the vaccine? We have a we have a process that we follow with our influenza vaccination uh, that uh, requires, you know, uh, a corrective action process that we call it uh, to um, to require the vaccination. It isn't, it, uh, isn't an automatic termination, but it puts you on a path uh, that does have significant uh, restrictions uh, in your employment. So uh, again, we have an established pathway that we use for our influenza vaccination and we'll do the same with COVID. We're wondering, we're wondering how many um, COVID patients right now are under the age of 18. Do you have any? And could you again, repeat your ICU totals? I will. Yeah, so uh, we 
Uh, first, first part of the question, uh, we don't currently have any uh, hospitalized uh, under 18. The, the good news with COVID has been in general, uh, children tend to have uh, mild or, or moderate uh, cases of COVID. Uh, there is a severe immune response that happens in some children that can cause very significant illness. Uh, fortunately, it's also quite rare. So we've had, uh, uh, we haven't had significant uh, pediatric uh, cases uh, that have required hospitalization. Uh, if we did have pediatric case that was severe, uh, it would most likely be, we'd be partnering with University of Iowa. So right now, no, no children hospitalized overall through the pandemic. Uh, fortunately, it's been uh, very low cases of pediatric hospitalizations. I will say, though, that there is a growing concern and there's growing rates of pediatric cases with the Delta variant. So this story may change over the weeks ahead. So, the, I'm sorry, the second question, second part. Could you repeat the second part of the question? Sure. This, sorry about that. The second part is, uh, can you break down ICU numbers for us? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, in our... So currently we have... Uh, Davenport is our largest campus, um, about uh, a a little over a third of our uh, ICU beds are occupied with COVID-19 patients. We currently have seven uh, COVID-19 patients. Uh, and in Silvis, we uh, fortunately only have one, uh, but that's a smaller campus where we tend to run about five to six ICU beds. Um, there have been reports of some people getting unauthorized booster shots. What would be your message to people getting that? Do you think it's recommended? Should they be holding off? Uh, what would be your message to that? Oh wow, you're going deep on that one. Uh, the, the 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 so I'll give you the party line. The, the, you know the the truth is that it's outside of the emergency use authorization. So it hasn't at this point been FDA approved to give a third booster dose. Now, having said that, there are there is growing bodies of evidence that some patients may not mount a full response to two doses, especially patients who are immunocompromised, uh, maybe transplant patients or other patients with a chronic illness that they have to take an immune suppressive medication. So in those cases, there may be benefit in giving a booster dose. I believe that the evidence continues to evolve there. Likely, the emergency use authorization will be modified in the, in the near future. And in the interim, those are uh, patient-physician conversations that need to occur to discuss risk and benefit uh, because we are in an area that wasn't um, uh, studied and approved. Uh, having said that, we also see countries like Israel now uh, frequently providing booster doses to their uh, over 60 age population. So I think the safety will be there. Uh, right now, it's not in covered under the emergency use authorization, but I also expect that will change in the near future. I see our friends at WVIK. I don't know if they they have their audio off, but they're putting a number of questions here in the the chat. The so chat. Um, I'm good. I'll I'll uh, read them out here. Um, one last question was: How do you think COVID nineteen is is being spread uh, through homes, work, parties, festivals, etc.? Yes. All of the above. <laughs> All of the above. The, pro the here's the here's the particular challenge. Uh, we. First of all, human nature, right? We all were very happy that the numbers went down. Things were looking very good in June and, and the first part of July. Um, we're able to be outdoors. I still think it's safe to be outdoors and unmasked, uh, but we started to be more comfortable with being indoors as well and being without masks uh, based on the vaccination and the low rate. 
How, however, Delta, the Delta variant has changed that. You know, we're seeing increasing cases. We know that this is the most contagious version of COVID that we've seen so far, and uh, it's much more easily spread. So it can spread in small groups. It can spread in uh, large congregations of folks. Um, we're, we are, you know, waiting to see if there's a continued increase in numbers as we've had some large uh, events in our community over the last few weeks. Um, one of the that that actually touches upon something that we learned uh, with the the previous strain of COVID is that the spread outdoors wasn't as virulent as spread indoors. Um, also, that the risk initially there had been some concerns of risk from touching certain things, which is why hand sanitizer became so popular. Um, however, over time, we learned that the risk of that was much lower than previously thought. Uh, are there other things that you can speak to in regard to that, uh, in regard to some risks that maybe, um, you know, are, have been ameliorated or have been uh, reconsidered. And does the Delta variant follow that same pattern where outdoor activities aren't as risky as previously thought and things of that nature? Yeah, I think the, I, I think that the changes that we noted earlier in the pandemic, I think for the most part hold with Delta. Now Delta is more contagious, but it's still a respiratory spread. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be when we're indoors, confined spaces where there's not uh, the ability for any, if someone has COVID, whether they know it or not, for them to shed the virus and then for us to be exposed to the virus. When you're outdoors, you know, there's just the, the, you know, the volume of distribution, the area that the virus would spread out in is so much greater that the risk of infection goes down significantly. Uh, but uh, so I think that, you know, our primary protection is uh, beyond vaccination. And I will say as many times as I need to, vaccination needs to be the number one priority. Uh, but we also need to be considering masking when we're indoors uh, while we're in another surge and while we're seeing the Delta variant, uh, which uh, one of the questions on the, the I was asked in preparation was, are we seeing mostly Delta variant? It's almost all Delta variant across the whole country. And that's confirmed by our state hygienic labs who do the testing uh, to genetically determine uh, what we're seeing in our communities. And it's uh, it's been over 90 percent for a fair amount of time now. Um, one of the questions our friends from WBIK asked were, how many of the 24 COVID-19 patients are Scott County residents? Uh, says the last report from the state was 11 a week ago. And if I can tag something else on there, last uh, report we got uh, from the Department of Health is that Iowa was still in a high level. Is that still the case? Yeah, Scott County for sure is in a high level, and uh, Iowa's been in a high level. Uh, I can't tell you the exact breakdown, but I would just say in general, um, most of our hospitalizations currently are in our Davenport campus. Now, that's our largest hospital, so that's always going to be the case. And the majority of our patients in our Davenport campus are from Scott County. So I would guess, I haven't looked up the demographics of where the 24 are from, but I would guess 70 to 80% of them are from Scott County. That's just a guess. A lot of the opposition to the vaccine, it seems like, is coming from the argument that it's people's decision to decide for themselves. Can you say how you guys, as a healthcare um, organization, maybe have a different obligation and hence the requirement? Yeah, we do. I mean, our, our mission is to take care of our, our patients, you know, to, to, to do the best of our ability to keep them safe. Uh, and when we know that the vaccine can help uh, prevent spread of the virus, pre prevent um, patients spreading it to our staff or our staff spreading it to patients or, or you know, even uh, patient to patient spread, 
we absolutely have to endorse uh, vaccination as a way of protecting our staff and our patients. So I think it is different for us. Um, I would go back to, you know, it, I like to compare it to the flu vaccine because it's something that people are more comfortable with and more familiar with. You know, the, the reason I personally take a flu vaccine, there's several reasons. Number one, um, I want to protect myself. I don't want to be sick. Uh, number two, I want to protect others who are more vulnerable than, than I am, the elderly and the young. And, uh, you know, lastly, yeah, it's a condition of my employment at Genesis. It never gets to that for me. Uh, number one and number two are more than enough. So the same thing should be considered for COVID. You know, we should do it to protect ourselves. We should do it to protect others, especially those who are more vulnerable in our community. Children under 12 don't have the option to be vaccinated. Uh, elderly patients, even when they're vaccinated because of their chronic conditions, can still get sick from COVID. So there, there's sort of a do it for yourself, but do it for others as well. And, uh, you know, we seem to be okay with that with influenza. I don't understand why it's any different with COVID. Given given the fact that, and this is another thing that most people don't consider, um, for those people who have been in the military, they know this. When you go into the military, you have to get a number of vaccinations. You have to get a number of shots. Uh, given our proximity to the arsenal, has there been any uh, communication between local healthcare providers and the arsenal human relations in regard to how objectors, how you deal with objections to um getting vaccines or, or things of that nature or requirements of that nature and um you know how would you know if, if there has been uh how can that be translated from something like the arsenal which is a little bit more compulsory um than uh, a health a healthcare situation which isn't the same as a military contract it, it's a great it's a good question i'll take that i'll carry that forward we have i don't know that we've had those conversations um, uh, it is interesting thought to understand maybe how they approach that. Um, my guess is ours is going to be more compassionate and right. more evidence based, right. and they're going to be take it or leave it. Yeah, right. Uh, but but you know, there, there's always learning that that can happen, and uh, so I can't directly comment uh, on the, their process. Uh, but there may be some opportunity for learning there. I, mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, many people going back to schools. Um, and schools making the decision whether to have masks or not. In your opinion, seeing what you see on a daily basis, do you think schools should be requiring masks right now? So what I, I'm gonna go back to you know the, the wave analogy or the, the hurricane analogy. You know, when we are in a surge, when we're seeing increasing cases, then I think it's clear that we need to be masking indoors. When we are in the situation where uh, we have better control and we have lower rates, uh, then we're in a much safer situation to uh, reduce masking, especially in vaccinated individuals. So yeah, my opinion, should we be masking in schools during a, a surge, especially with the Delta variant? Yes, we absolutely should be. Uh, in my opinion, uh, should we be encouraging vaccination of children who are eligible uh, to protect them and to minimize spread within our schools and our community? Yes. I believe we should be vaccinating children who are eligible. Do you anticipate opposition from your staff to the new requirement? Do you see any trouble with that? Or do people seem to, for the most part, support the decision? Well, again, I, I, as we talked about earlier on the call, unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And our staff are like the rest of the community. Some of them have uh, you know, read or heard uh, incorrect, false information. 
Um, so we have to work to reassure them of the, the effectiveness and the safety of the vaccination and educate them based on the facts. So I think there will be a, a set of uh, employees that are going to need some time to think things through and to understand the facts. I think most of us understand the need to vaccinate and to protect ourselves and to protect our patients. Um, but it, and, and it is, yeah, it's a concern. It's a challenge. You know, we already are challenged with staffing uh, in healthcare right now. Genesis, UnityPoint, and nationally, we're all seeing staffing shortages that are putting significant strain on our ability to care for patients. So our goal is to retain all of our staff and to work through this process with them. Uh, if they have a legitimate medical or religious exemption, we will, you know, that will be considered. And then we'll work with them to educate and get them uh, comfortable with being vaccinated. Uh, it, it is a challenge and it will take it on, but we're not alone. Uh, again, most national organizations in healthcare have already announced that they're requiring vaccination or they will be announcing. Some are waiting for FDA uh, final approval, which in my mind doesn't change anything. Uh, we already have, again, over 350 million uh, doses given of the vaccines that we're using. Uh, FDA will approve, and so it doesn't change anything. The emergency use versus FDA approval, to me, there's no difference. So, but some organizations may wait for that. Uh, in our community, uh, Genesis, Unity Point, uh, Mercy One, OSF, all the health organizations uh, have uh, endorsed vaccination. Um, you might say the exception, University of Iowa hasn't announced that. However, University of Iowa has worked very hard on their vaccination program and they've achieved a 90% vaccination rate. Are the new symptoms of Delta similar to the old symptoms or are there any symptoms that um, differentiate or have they, you know, is there something else that people need to be looking for in regard to it? Yeah, it's a little sneakier. In, in the mild cases, um, in the mild to moderate cases, it's more of like a head cold allergy type symptom, you know, sneezing, congestion. Um, and uh, you, you may just think, oh, I just have a cold or I've got uh, allergies. And in fact, a lot of people will have a cold or allergies, you know. Um, so it's very sneaky. It's going to act the same, um, which means you might be spreading it when you think you don't have uh, any significant illness. We also know that, that the, this particular variant tends to uh, significantly uh, populate the, the kind of nasal and oral passages. So when you sneeze and cough, uh, there's a significant amount of virus present. So. Um, it's, it, 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 although the symptoms for COVID have also been very uh, variable from the beginning. Some people have fever. Some people feel uh, tired. Some people uh, have a cough. Uh, some, with earlier variants, lots of uh, taste and smell was uh, more notable than in the Delta variant. Uh, but at the end, the very severe cases all end up being the same. It's, uh, you know, severe organ dysfunction, uh, difficulty breathing, uh, potential for cardiac uh, damage or irregular heartbeats, uh, kidney damage, brain damage, all very, very severe complications in those most extreme cases. So that's not different uh, than it has been earlier. Typically, as viruses mutate, they tend to be more um, aggressive in terms of spread, but they tend to be less deadly because just by the nature of a virus, they don't want to kill all of their hosts because they want to continue to survive. Um, are we seeing that with the Delta variant where it's far more contagious and so it's spreading out more, but we're seeing fewer fatalities and fewer really severe symptoms because you know by its nature a virus will tend to sort of wane in regard to that. 
Yeah, I, I think I agree with your general principle. Uh, as far as exactly how Delta's very, uh, is is going to um, act from a virulence standpoint, I think that's still being analyzed, and I would leave that to, to the experts in the fields in virology because the reality is uh, there's a lot of things have changed. The Delta variant we know is contagious. We do know that our hospitalizations and deaths are much better than they were with the with the first wave of COVID that we saw in November. That's our personal experience. That's the national experience. But a lot of things have changed too. Vaccinations have had an impact on that. So so that is a factor. Uh, in patients who are hospitalized, you know, we've learned over the last year um, some of the ways that we can care for them better, you know, to help uh, support them, help them oxygenate better, avoid intubation if at all possible. Um, so, you know, we're it's a little hard to sort out if Delta is less virulent or if it's the effect of vaccine and treatment. I will speak briefly on treatment that, uh, you know, primarily this is still supportive, just like it is with influenza, severe cases of influenza. We're usually supporting you. We're helping provide oxygen. We're helping support any uh, damage you might have to your heart or kidneys or other organs. Um, we in, in, you know, primarily it's respiratory and oxygen status that we're treating. Uh, steroids can be beneficial in some of those patients. The antiviral medicine may have some benefit. And we know that the polyclonal antibody infusion can be effective in early intervention or prevention for some patients who are high risk. But we still don't have a new you know, silver bullet treatment that's going to make you better if you get severe COVID. You touched on vaccines as a whole being beneficial. So this is kind of sort of getting a little more specific, but would you say that it would be beneficial to the community if other businesses follow suit and do require vaccine mandates for their employees? Well, I, again, you know, I can speak to what we do in our, in our healthcare world. You know, our world is about taking care of people and taking care of our staff. And, and clearly the evidence shows that vaccines can help us do that. So I, yeah, would I encourage businesses to uh, work with their employees to increase vaccination? Absolutely. Uh, they have to have those conversations just like we're having with, with our employees. Um, and the more of us who are vaccinated in the community, uh, the, the more quickly we will get the Delta wave under control and hopefully get back to where we were just in June and July where, where we can uh, resume more normal activities and have less concern of, uh, uh, spreading the virus amongst the, the members of our community and seeing some of them, uh, unfortunately, get very sick. So if we want to get through this together, same story we've been having from the beginning, we all have to work together. This really is a public health emergency. It's not It's not just some individuals, it's all of us. Kurt, a couple more, then we'll go. Yeah, like, let's do two more questions and wrap up, if that's okay. What can you say about COVID and kids? Are you seeing increased cases among kids in the quad cities or hospitalizations with school starting uh we have uh, we haven't seen um a large number of pediatric cases that were severe enough to require hospitalization from the beginning um I, we're concerned because the, there is evidence that delta is going to be more um more prevalent in children than the previous variants but again for the most part kids have done relatively well some children do do very poorly with COVID-19 and there have been deaths associated in children. So we're very concerned about that. But as of right now, we still uh, do not have uh, any hospitalized pediatric patients. 
Uh, University of Iowa, though, has been working on their preparedness plans for the Children's Hospital to see increasing number of children uh, as we go into late summer and fall with the uh, with schools starting back up and with the increase in cases that we're seeing across the state and across the country related to the Delta variant. All right. We good? All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. And there you have it. Um, talk with uh, Kurt Anderson, a doctor and uh, senior vice president of physician operations and chief medical officer at General Genesis Health System. That was our latest episode of QC Uncut, Uncut and Edited, Uncensored conversation with local newsmakers. And um, a different uh, type of episode today. Um, I was invited by Genesis to participate in this Zoom call with other local media here in the Quad Cities, and I uh, was happy to do so. And as you heard, um, you heard the conversation in its entirety. Um, did not get the chance to uh, do a little introduction at the beginning, but nevertheless, I hope that you found the information to be um, very uh, vital and uh, interesting and um, certainly um relevant to to what we're doing right now and what's going on today in in the quad cities and in society in general so hope you found this helpful and um thank you very much for listening in um this is sean leary have a great day